Good morning, everyone. For those who are online, uh, as was said, my name is Joel. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Eaglemont. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, uh, this morning we're going to be jumping into week two of our series, going through the Lord's Prayer, which is found in your Bibles in the Book of Matthew, chapter six. If you want to open those up with me. And we're on, again, week two, talking about prayer. Now, important thing to note right off the top is prayer is not about repetition or performance. In fact, Jesus got mad at the religious elites of his day for this. They would publicly proclaim long, eloquent prayers, but they were heartless prayers. They were just one-way declarations that fed their own pious views of themselves. They maybe sounded super religious, but those prayers were empty and meaningless to God. That's why just preceding the passage of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 5, we see Jesus instruct his followers not to pray like this. It's important to remember that prayer is approaching not an object or a force, but a person. Instead of repetition and performance, prayer is all about relationship. So at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. He wasn't saying, recite and copy what I say. Rather, he was providing a blueprint for how to properly communicate and approach God. So for those of you who maybe put it this way, as a Canadian, we speak for the most part in Alberta English, although in our particular community, there are some who speak French. But when you have someone who comes from a non-English speaking country, comes from another part of the world, maybe you like me, you had friends who were first generation Canadians, learning English, but also learning a cultural language. They had to learn not only the words, but they had to learn sometimes what words meant, as there's a lot of slang. Jesus is essentially saying, this is how you talk to the Father. He was helping to provide that gap. Now, last week, Pastor Marlowe opened this message series up, and he talked about when we pray, Jesus first taught us to approach God as Father. We begin by approaching not a maniacal dictator, not someone waiting up in the sky to bash us over the head with a hammer, but a loving, benevolent Father. We begin by approaching one who lovingly cares and wants the best for his kids. Jesus spoke about this in Matthew chapter 7, 9 to 11. He said, you parents, if, you, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly Father gives good gifts to those who ask him? This is essentially laying how we are supposed to approach God in prayer as Father. We go to him knowing he loves us as Abba, Father, and desires what is best for us. Now this week we want to bridge off of this. Because the second part of this statement is, Our Father in heaven. This phrase, or for those of you who were having a hard time reciting this morning because you learned the old King James, who are in heaven. That phrase is said 20 times just in the book of Matthew itself. What does this mean? What does it mean that God is in heaven? On first read, it would maybe appear that we now have a person, Father, and a place, heaven. That is put into the beginning of our prayer. So maybe you're thinking this is just, okay, the direction of how we communicate. Similar to when I was a kid and I was in elementary school, 
I had my first pen pal, and I had to learn how to write a letter. Here comes the envelope. You put the name, and then you put the address so that your written message, hi, my name is Joel, I like hockey, I like sleeping, I like eating. It was a very deep letter that really connected the two of us. And you put it on name, address, and you send it in the mail, right? Destination. Or... For those of you who like to phone instead, and maybe you don't write letters anymore, you have to dial a particular number. I remember when I was a kid, we came once and only once as a kid did we have a Christmas celebration with my extended family on my mom's side of the family. They lived outside of our Drossen, but it was a large family of like 12 kids. So we had this big retreat center. We all met up. We drove from Vancouver, and we stopped in this beautiful oasis called Calgary. And overnight, we stayed in a hotel, and I, I probably, you probably don't know this yet, but I am a Calgary Flames fan. And there was, my favorite player's name was Theron Fleury growing up. And I was so pumped to stay in Calgary because as soon as I got there, I pulled out the white pages. If you were born later than the year 2000, the white pages is what we used to use to find numbers of people instead of Googling. All right. So I got out the white pages and I looked for every T flurry I could find because I was excited. I was going to talk to my boy Theo and have a conversation. So I did. And every time someone pick up, hello, is Theron there? Eh? Hang up. Apparently there's a thing such as private numbers. I never found his number, but you have to have a specific number to find the particular person, right? This makes sense. You with me? Okay. So when we've got this destination, is this destination essentially where we can find the person? This concept of place of contact is actually not what Jesus is talking about here. That's not what he means by our Father in heaven. This statement in heaven is not directional or focused on a particular destination, as if we needed to get the right address or the right phone number in order for our prayers, our messages to get to God. Rather, it is a declaration about the God to whom we pray. Eh? What does that mean? Let me explain a little bit. So when we speak of in heaven, we're actually speaking more to God's credentials rather than his location. The mention of place can bestow credentials or the significance of a person. Imagine that you had your child get in an accident, for those of you who have kids. You have your child get in an accident and they break their leg. And you're in a public setting and you say, I need some help. And you have two people that offer to help. The first is Andy. Andy watched two YouTube videos and got an online certificate that he paid $5 for that says he knows things about broken legs. The other person is Dr. John Smith, who has a doctorate degree, a medical degree from Harvard University. Who are you going to ask to help your child to make sure their leg gets reset properly? Probably Dr. John Smith. Why? Because where that degree came from has a level of, of weight to it. There's a credential that comes because of where it came from. We pray to our Father in heaven. In heaven speaks to the credentials of our God. If I can put it a, a little differently. Uh, the other week... I went to go watch a movie for the first time in the theater in a long time. Uh, and I, I went with one of the guys from the church here, and we watched Top Gun Maverick. Has anybody seen that movie yet? Okay. Just if you haven't and you're wanting to, there's a part here where there's going to be a spoiler alert, and I'll tell you to plug ears. All right? But sadly, it was the first time I've gone in years 
to the point where it took me 20 minutes to get over. Do you know that there's like leather recliners now in theaters? I felt like a 90-year-old man. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is amazing. It literally took me 20 minutes to get over it. But we went, we go in. It's like the greatest, if you're like, spent some time in the 80s, it'll be the greatest refresher of your life. But here's kind of a little synopsis of what's happening in this movie. There's the main character. His name is Maverick. They're pilots. He's like the rebel guy, does things his own way. Great pilot. And he has to lead this squadron of young pilots because Tom Cruise does age and he's old. So now it's, he's got to mentor the young pilots. They're all going to this like impossible to achieve mission. You could maybe call it mission impossible. <laughs> I just thought of that. Okay. But they go to do this mission. And so this is where the spoiler is going to come in. Okay. So, but at some point, I'm not going to tell you the full ending, but at some point, Maverick, while we're, they're doing this impossible mission, actually gets shot out of the sky, and he crashes in enemy territory. So with that, there are kind of two groupings of people that can help him. The first is another pilot who has a terrific mustache. If you know someone under the age of 50 who's grown a mustache over the last month, it's because they watch Top Gun. And he actually crashes his own plane to get down on the ground to help him. So that's group number one. The second group is this, uh, this freighter off the coast that has tons of planes and tons of artillery and all these soldiers. Now, here's the issue. The guy on the ground is in the same, same situation as Maverick. He's there. He understands him. He's with him. He's there to practically bear that time with him. But he's got no artillery and no ability to really help him. The other grouping is way off and in the distance, they've got all the power and artillery that's needed to help Maverick get out of the situation, but they're so far off, there's nothing they can really do. They don't actually understand. The, the radios are off, they can't talk to each other. They don't get what's going on. All they know is he's down. Now, I think this scene can actually emulate how a lot of us view and have experienced prayer. While we know we're supposed to say prayer is a good thing, the truth is we struggle with it. And I believe there's two reasons why often we struggle and we don't pray the way we should. It's because either A, though we say we, that God is capable of anything, when it comes to trusting him in our lives, we believe God is incapable of really helping us. He's the other pilot maybe. He's nice, he cares, and he's crashed and he's with us, but he doesn't really actually have the ability to get us out of the situation we find ourselves in. That's either A, or B, we think God is capable of helping us, but he's like the destroyer offshore. He's distant from us. He doesn't really understand or care, and our lives are essentially meaningless and sacrificed to him. The Bible has much to teach us about the person of God, and really the start of the Lord's Prayer is really focusing us on the person of God. He is our Father in heaven, and our Father in heaven is both Imminent and transcendent. These are two theological terms that I'm going to explain really quickly. But imminence means God is close by. He is near. God is not distant, but he is by our side. He's there in the trenches with us. He sees us in enemy territory, and he gets right down there with us. But God is also, at the very same time, transcendent. God is not only with us, but he is separate from us. 2 Chronicles 6.18 says this, But will God really live on earth among his people? Why, even the highest of heavens cannot contain you, God. How much less this temple I have built. We are not praying to a God. 
We are praying to the God of heaven, all-powerful, all-knowing, always present. God is imminently involved in our lives, lovingly able to see and know our most intimate thoughts, questions, desires, and struggles. Yet he is also transcendent, limitless in his perspective and power. The Bible teaches that God is spirit. Therefore, heaven does not signify a location or place remote from us because there is no place that could ever actually contain God. Theologian J.R. Packer says it this way, when the creator is said to be in heaven, the thought is that he exists not in a different location or a different place, but a different plane from us. If I can make one more movie reference this morning, and it is another 80s movie, but if you've ever seen the greatest movie franchise that has ever been made, Back to the Future, you know that there is a time machine that has been built. There's a character named Doc Brandon. He builds it out of an 80s DeLorean so that they can travel through time. And if you can think of time as if it was a linear line. So the beginning of time starting here, the end of time being over here, and all the way plotted along, we've got all the different events of history along this line. And the time machine essentially makes it so that you can jump anywhere you want along the timeline at any point. And I think that sometimes when we talk about God not being limited by time, that's what we think of. But when we talk about a God who is both imminent and transcendent, the way he's able to be both is it's not a case where God can simply bounce around at any point and has a, essentially a time machine for himself to go wherever he wants. It means that time itself is a construct of God, created by God. And if you could imagine that you saw this timeline in front of you, instead of being able to go at any point, God is like you are right now where you could see all of that time at once. That's what it means when we talk about God being transcendent, God being outside, yet God is also imminent. The most literal reading of this statement in heaven would be the God in the heavens, meaning every location, every place at one time. We don't pray to a God who abides by our earthly limitations, but one who is available to us at all times. Or as Professor Dallas Willard interprets it, our Father always near us. Now why would Jesus instruct us at the beginning of this prayer where his disciples say, teach us to pray. Why would he start by praying this? It's because who God is dictates how we relate to him. How we pray. Because prayer is conversation. Prayer is relationship. So, with that, three important things that I want to quickly look at that we can learn about God by knowing he is in heaven. The first is this, in heaven leads us to worship him. It leads to humility. Again, going back to if you know someone has a doctor by their name, if I go to the doctor's office, typically, which I do not do that often because I'm stubborn, but if I have a major medical issue, the fact that someone has a doctorate degree from a credible university, I'm gonna listen to them because they have knowledge I don't. I honor those credentials. Knowledge of God's greatness, when we actually grasp it and realize it, humbles us. That's why it's right at the beginning of this prayer, because it brings us in a posture of how we should actually approach him. 
it leads us to appropriately worship him. This is not a peer-to-peer conversation. Yes, he is our father, he cares for us, he is loving, he is close, but this is not an equal conversation of two peers. He is God, we are not. This is the all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful, always-present creator of the universe. Revelations 5.13 gives us a picture of what heaven will actually be like when we face-to-face spend time with God. It says this, And then I heard a creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. They sang, Blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Worship is a natural response of when we see a God in heaven. Jesus invites us to speak to the Father who is in heaven, the one who is worthy of our worship. Secondly, when we see a God in heaven, it helps us to realize that God is big enough for any and all of our problems. If I was to ask you the question, what does Father God look like? Well, he is a good father. But what does a father look like? Uh, This question brings... For many of us, a bit of a dad dilemma. As Pastor Marlow alluded to last week, the shortcomings of our earthly fathers can dishearten us in embracing the true idea of God as Father. When we pray to a God that reflects our own images of Father instead of His true nature, this will eventually lead us to pray with man-like expectations instead of God-like expectations. Again, theologian J.I. Packer puts it this way, in heaven sets before us the fact that our divine father is great, eternal, infinite, almighty. Thus, that phrase makes us realize that God's love is unchanging, unlimited, unconquerable in its purpose, and more than able to deal with all the needs we bring when we pray. Prayer shaped by and supported by thoughts like this can and will not be dull. Matthew 21, verses 21 to 22. These are the words of Jesus. He said, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, you can say to this mountain, go and throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Many of us can struggle with prayer because while theologically we have been taught God can do whatever he wants, Our prayers for supernatural intervention can be said more by religious practice sometimes than by actual expectation and belief that's developed out of a personal communion and relationship with God. As the Apostle Paul states in Ephesians 3.20, our Father in heaven is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Now, I need to pause right now, because while what I'm saying is biblical and it's true, I know for many of us, some of you right now, your radar is up. Even as I speak, especially with this word expectation. When I speak of expectation, I want to be really clear, I'm not speaking of name it and claim it theology. This theological framework sets up a God who is essentially a cosmic Coke machine. If you really belong to God, and you do what's right, and you aren't sinful and you pray for something, you should just get it. 
It should be yours. And if God doesn't provide what you want, doesn't give you the specifics of what you ask for, it must be a sign of sin in your life or you failing. God's disapproval of you. This teaching is actually completely against the teaching of Jesus in the New Testament. It is a works doctrine base rather than the grace through Christ that we see throughout the teachings of the New Testament. Many have been hurt by this type of theology. And I want to pause because some of you have maybe had painful experiences. Maybe it's been at, like we've done sometimes here at our church, where there's been a call to come to the front and have people pray for you. Maybe you've had prayer for healing or you've had something in your life that's been an ailment, something that hasn't been fixed by prayer. And maybe the people that have prayed with you have essentially left you with this feeling like it was your fault because you should have been healed. That problem should have gone away. Obviously, something's wrong with you. That's an absolute lie. Those are not the words of Jesus. Those are not the teachings of the New Testament. That's not what Jesus paid his blood on the cross for. That's a false doctrine. When I say come in prayer to our Father in heaven with expectation, I mean as followers of Jesus, we have the freedom to come before God in prayer for anything and know that he hears us. And we can come confident of his ability, his power to do, and his benevolent Father heart towards us that will work his good will according to his good purposes. It doesn't mean God serves us doing whatever we want because we serve him, but it means we can come to him with anything knowing he is able to do and that his will is good. It's like if you knew a father that gave everything his children ever asked for. Anybody who's ever had kids knows that that is the worst possible idea in the history of the world. If you actually never said no to your kids, can you imagine? God loves us too much to do that. It's because he is in heaven we know that God is able to do anything. And there is nothing we can bring to him that is too big or out of his control. Now this does bring up an elephant in the room. When it comes to prayer, how do we continue to pray with expectancy when we feel God has not answered our prayers in the past? Again, just to review quickly. Jesus begins prayer by declaring and reminding us who God is. He is our Father. He is loving, caring, and desires for our best. In other words, he is trustworthy. Two, he is in heaven. He is imminent and transcendent. He is powerful and capable. He is omnipresent, meaning he is everywhere at all times. But he is also omniscient, meaning he is all-knowing and wise. Matthew 6.33 says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. These are the words of Jesus. Then all these things, all these things we can pray, all these things we can bring to God shall be added. Seek first God. Relationship first. That relationship with God will then change your heart. Name it and claim it theology would say, God gives you the desires of your heart. Ask and it's yours. A theology undergirded by the teachings of the New Testament and the teachings of Jesus tells you that as you draw close and healthy relationship with the Father, with God, in heaven, he will change your heart to be in tune with his good desires. 
Then, because your heart lines up with his heart, then you will receive the desires of your heart. See, the third thing, that when we see and understand that he's a God in heaven, we see that God sees what we don't. Some prayers may still not receive the answers you expected. It's again why it's so important we remember to pray to a God in heaven. Because God in heaven sees what we don't and he gets the bigger picture of our lives and all of history that we don't get. He sees the whole timeline, not just the small window that we're currently experiencing. It's the equivalent of when I had to take my son when he was a little under two years old, got a really horrible rotavirus. He was just sick for days, super high temperature, throwing up all the time. We had to take him to the children's hospital and they ended up having to keep him overnight. Painful experience as a dad for my kid. He's so little and he doesn't understand, but they're having to put needles in his body. They're having to put IVs on him. All of that seemed horrible and painful, and I can tell you it was horrible as a parent to have to watch and to experience. But I knew the bigger picture that if we didn't get some assistance, that he wouldn't get better. There was need for medical intervention. He was dehydrated. He was at the point where he had lost all of his strength. Other intervention than needed that didn't feel good in the moment. It's similar to sometimes in our lives, there are experiences that we have that don't feel good. In fact, they feel horrendously bad. And there may not be a bow at the end of it that we get to understand why it was there, but God sees the bigger picture we don't. To simply pray for God to do what we say would make God our Father on earth, not our Father in heaven. God's perspective is in heaven. He sees more, he knows more. But his heart for you is good. It's why it's so important. You need to know him as father. The importance of praying to God in heaven is not that he responds in the way we most desire, but rather that we come to know and trust him. That we can place and position all we have, love and care for, within the governing care of his will, knowing he is good and he is in control. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. He is your father, and he is in heaven. It brings us to worship him. It lets us know that he has the power to handle anything we can bring to him, And it also lets us trust him because he sees the bigger picture we don't. The key, though, is that we need to have relationship with him. So to end this morning, we're going to have a little bit of a prayer exercise ourselves. So what I'm going to ask you to do is as we pray, I'm going to ask you right now just to close your eyes. And if this is different for you, I get that. I promise you no one's going to do anything while your eyes are closed. And I would also like to say this. You can talk with God when your eyes are open. But oftentimes we close our eyes because it's a way for us to try and focus on him. But I want to do three different little exercises. We're going to spend 30 seconds on each of these. Again, prayer is not about just giving a shopping list to God. It's actually having communication, talking with him, and over time, getting to know him. That's what it's about. So, with your eyes closed, I want us just to first to spend 30 seconds and talk with the Father. Just recognize him as your father. Maybe you just want to thank him for loving you. 
Maybe you want to, in this time, just ask him to help understand what a real perfect father is like. God, if there are any wounds in my life that would keep me from trusting you and approaching you like the good father you are, would you just show that to me now? Now we're just going to spend 30 seconds and focus on how he is our Father in heaven. So spend just a few moments, again, just silently, maybe with words, maybe just in your mind, just expressing your worship for him, that he is great, that he is powerful, that he is mighty, he is majestic, creator of all things, worthy of Finally, we're going to spend just 30 seconds because prayer is a two-way conversation of just listening. I want you just to, in your own heart and mind, to ask this question to him. My Father in heaven, what would you want to say to me today? Then just open your heart to listen, just for 30 seconds. Sometimes God speaks with maybe just a word that comes in our mind. Maybe there's a picture that can come to your mind of something God's maybe showing you as you ask that question. Maybe it's a situation that he's wanting to speak to you. God, thank you that you are a father. You love us. You are in heaven. You are capable. You are powerful. You are seeing, all-knowing, all-wise, and we can trust you. Help us to grow more and more in relationship with you as we learn to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.